Please remain standing for the reading of today's gospel lesson from the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let the house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Carol, for reading our lesson and greetings to each of you in the name of Christ. Uh, How good it is to be together on this first Sunday of the season called Advent. Um, Many of you were traveling and are back, and how we are so looking forward to tonight, uh, this afternoon and this evening for these concerts that our youth uh, will be sharing with us. It's one of those uh, special moments that highlights the entire season and begins us in the right way for Advent. So we're grateful to our youth choirs, to James, Greg, Patsy, and all who'll be leading us tonight and hope to see you there at one of the three concerts this evening. Chris, thank you so much for preaching for us today, uh, that mini-sermon and sharing with us. And I know that you all will want to get in your commitment cards in the next several days, and we'll give a report a little later in the month. We're grateful to those of you from whom we've already heard, and especially uh, we're grateful to those who were a part of uh, the decorations for today that remind us of the uh, Savior who is coming to us. I think all of you know that as disciples of Jesus in the church, uh, we have a little different way of marking time from the world. For us, the new year doesn't begin on January the 1st. It begins today, December the 1st, on the first Sunday of Advent. And the word Advent literally means arrival or entrance, coming into the world. And the word itself reminds us that we serve a God who is completely engaged in the affairs of humanity and of God's creation. In every facet of that creation, in our coming and our going, in our joy and our heartache, in our faithfulness and in our backsliding, God is absolutely immersed in our existence in ways that draw us deeper into relationship and deeper into meaning and deeper into purpose. And because of that, we as the body of Christ necessarily live in a perpetual state 
of hopefulness, optimism. We are an expectant people. We expect God to be true to His Word. We expect God to respond to our prayers. We expect that God will show up in ways that bring repentance and conviction, reconciliation and redemption. And God expects the same from us. So the theme as we begin today for the next four Sundays is the theme of expecting. Advent is a time of anticipation, of great expectation for all of us. It's also interesting to note that the Latin word adventus is a translation of the Greek parousia. Many of you recognize that word. It refers to the second coming of Christ. And that explains why the lectionary, this is one of the few times in the Christian year that we are a part of the lectionary, that explains why the lectionary begins with a lesson about the end right at the beginning. The apocalypse, we call it. As early as the 12th century, Christians have spoken of three comings of Christ in the flesh in Bethlehem, in our hearts every day, and in glory at the end of time. The text from Matthew, Carol, that you read for us is a part of a section that runs two chapters, Matthew 24 and 25, that scholars refer to as the little apocalypse. I've got a picture of Rembrandt's painting of St. Matthew that we saw a few weeks ago at the Louvre in Paris. This is Rembrandt's masterful depiction of the angel interpreting the gospel story to St. Matthew as he's writing the words of the message. It's interesting to note that at the time that Matthew wrote these words, the early church was now well into her second generation. There was a sense in the first generation of the movement that the second coming would take place immediately. It would come at any time, and that's why initially, according to the book of Acts, many of the brethren gave up their belongings and lived communally in Jerusalem. But as the days became weeks, and the weeks became months, and the months became years, expectation began to wane. It was evident that Jesus wasn't going to return so soon. In fact, there were some who wondered in this second generation if he was coming back at all. Add to this delay the hostility, the persecution of the Roman government, and the rift that was happening between the synagogue and the church, between Jews and Gentiles, and you've got a recipe for despair. And so in the waning hope and lost expectation, Matthew recalls these words of Jesus. But about that day and hour, nobody knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, the implicit clarity in that text is that we cannot know when Christ is returning, only that He's returning. And for that reason, I've always been a little intrigued that there have been those throughout history who have attempted to predict the time 
of Christ's return. I don't know about you, but I find that a little presumptuous. If Jesus himself didn't know, chances are you're not privy to that information either. But there have been those historically who said the time is going to happen in May or July or August, and the time comes and the time passes. There's a couple of analogies that are helpful that Jesus raises in Matthew 24, like Noah and the flood. He says, essentially, if the people in Noah's day had known when the rain was coming, they would have built their own life rafts, but they were clueless about the time, and they were unprepared. Like a thief in the night, says Jesus, I will come. If the homeowner had only known when the burglar was going to break in, he would have set the security system. He would have been on high alert. I don't know if you saw it in the news last week. Did you see the report of that woman whose name is Willie Morgan from Rochester, New York, who was ready when someone broke into her home? She's 82 years old. She is a bodybuilder. She still deadlifts 225 pounds. And this particular thief chose the wrong house. Said Willie, when I saw him, I picked up a table and landed it on his head. I took care of business, and he messed with the wrong senior because she was ready. Well, we don't know when, but we know that he's coming. So our task as a church is not to predict, but to prepare. There's a question in this text that I want to think about for just a moment that's highlighted that Jesus shares with us. How does one get ready for an unknown deadline? Let me make it personally. How do you get ready for an indefinite due date? Now, if you were to call me this afternoon and say, Pastor, I need you to do my daughter's wedding, I would ask you for the date. And if you said something like this, it will be sometime between now and the end of 2020, I'd have to decline because I need more than a time frame. I need a date. Somebody asked me recently, can you fill out a letter of recommendation for me? I said, when do you need it? He said, anytime between now and December 31st. I said, what time on the 31st? <laughs> now, it's not that I'm a procrastinator. It's just that I've got some other things to do between now and December 31st. And I'll get it for you when you need it, but not before you need it. Is, is it just me or maybe it's just me or do y'all do better with, with deadlines? I do better. The nine-month period, for example, between when the child is conceived and when the child is born is pretty important time. There's a lot to do. But how do you plan for an unknown deadline? You've got to live on ready. You have to learn to expect the unexpected. The Scripture says you have to stay awake. Or as we used to say on the ball field, look alive, be alert, be prepared. Well, there's a phrase we know, Boy Scouts of America, BSA, Troop One, here. I think the Boy Scouts began in 1910. The Boy Scout motto is and has always been, be prepared. 
In 1907, there was an English soldier named Robert Baden-Powell who is credited with coining this phrase. It was Powell's vision to prepare young men to live in a state of readiness in mind, body, and spirit to do our duty. And Matthew says, this is not just the Boy Scouts motto, this is the church's motto. Have you ever discovered how much of life is just preparation? In fact, I think we spend more time prepping for life than we do living. And life demands it. I called James Wells the other day. I said, how long, how long does it take you to prepare the youth choirs for the Advent concert this afternoon? He said, three months. We start rehearsal right after Labor Day. Three months of rehearsal to get ready for one hour concert. It's key, preparation key to performance. I said, what about the chancel choir? He said, it's about the same, although adults require more time than children. <laughs> it's true in sports. It's true in college football. Some of you OD'd on football yesterday. The team prepares 365 days a year, not just practicing during the season, but they're working in the off season. What are they doing? They're conditioning. They're lifting weights, they're running sprints. They work 365 days a year for 12 one-hour games. I took the trouble of doing the math on that. In a year's time, there are 8,760 hours in a year, and they spend 8,748 hours getting ready for 12 hours of playing time. Preparation. It's true of teachers, and it's true of preachers. Preachers cannot wait until Saturday night to prepare the sermon. Or I should say they shouldn't wait until Saturday morning because you have to live with the text. You have to breathe the Scripture. You have to ruminate. You have to interpret. You have to allow the Scripture to interpret you. You have to exegete and exposit takes 20 to 25 hours of preparation to preach for 20 minutes. Reminds me of what Malcolm Gladwell said, who wrote Blink, talking to strangers and outliers. He said, the key to fruitfulness in any field is to practice 20 hours a week for 10 years, 10,000 hours of just preparation. Students, you cannot wait until the night before the final to study. You've heard this before. You have to review every day during the semester in order to be ready for the test. It's true of any endeavor, of any discipline, and it's especially true of discipleship. To live the life of Christ means to live on ready and expect the unexpected. When I think of living on ready, I think of Edwin Markham's poetic story. You remember the story, Conrad the cobbler, the shoemaker. Conrad had a dream one night, a vivid dream in which Christ appeared. 
He was going to visit Conrad in his shop the next day. The dream was so real that Conrad instinctively knew it was more than an illusion. It was a sacred promise. And so he got up early the next morning. He cleaned his shop. He baked fresh bread, and he waited for the master. But the master didn't come. Late in the morning, Conrad looked out his front window and saw an old beggar with injured feet in proper shoes, deeply moved by the man's plight. He invited him in, helped him get warm, made him a pair of new shoes, and he was grateful that the Lord didn't come during this time. He bid the old man goodbye and again cleaned his shop and waited, waited, but the Lord didn't come. At noon, he heard a knock at the door, opened. There's an old woman carrying a load of kindling. She was hungry, wanted something to eat. He was irritated by the interruption, but he was too kind to turn her down. And he brought her in, and he gave her the bread that he had prepared for the master. He even carried her kindling back to her home and rushed back to the shop so as not to miss the master's visit. But the master didn't come. The afternoon slipped by and doubt began to creep into Conrad's heart. Another knock on the door, his heart leapt for joy. He opened to find a small child lost and afraid. He gave him a cup of milk, led him back to his mother's arms, left a note on his shop door in case the master came. But when he returned, the note was undisturbed. And he waited and waited, but the Lord didn't come. Markham concluded this story with this lyric. The day went down in the crimson west, and with it the hope of the blessed guest. And Conrad sighed as the world turned gray. Why is it, Lord, that your feet delay? Did you forget that this is the day? Then soft in the silence a voice he heard, Lift up your heart, for I have kept my word. Three times I came to your friendly door. Three times my shadow was on your floor. I was the beggar with bruised feet. I was the woman you gave something to eat. I was the child in the homeless street. And suddenly he realized that the master had kept his promise. While Conrad was waiting, he was ready. Someone asked me this morning, are you ready for Christmas? I'm never sure how to answer that because usually I think it means, have you done your shopping? Have you put up your tree? Have you done your decorating? Have you planned for your parties? My answer would be no. (laughs) But the question I want to ask of you is not are you ready for Christmas, but are you ready for Christ? He's coming. We don't always know when, but we know that. And when he comes, he comes in the most unexpected times and some of the most unexpected places in unexpected ways. And so all of this is a call of Advent to say, be prepared, expect the unexpected, and live on ready. In Jesus' name, amen.